Well, earlier in the week, we were saying markets were somewhat jollied along by hopes that peace talks might be going somewhere, although you might have picked up that we were not entirely convinced by that here on the morning call. Well, neither is anyone else anymore, it seems, because we're back to seeing Europe's shares falling, oil prices rising, and inflation getting out of control. So the ECB, well, they like to do things gradually, but will they have to do things ever so slightly less gradually now? It's Thursday, the 31st of March, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar has fallen further today, losing another 0.6% on the DXY. It's now 1.4% below its post-pandemic high. The currency is gaining from that fall in the dollar this morning, or perhaps causing it more to the point, is the euro, which is up another 0.6% to the highest it's been this month, just as the month draws to a close. The yen is up again too, gaining another 0.9%. The Aussie, meanwhile, away from all of this action, falling ever so slightly today on what has been a fairly flat week so far, it's fair to say. And U.S. stocks are down. Yesterday's optimism was certainly short-lived. We've got a 1.2% fall in the Nasdaq, a fall of 0.6% for the S&P 500, and down 0.2% for the Dow. They've sort of clawed back a little bit late in the day, but they are the closing prices. But European stocks, well, they've been rising high on hopes of some sort of Ukraine deal earlier in the week, but they're down today. Almost a one and a half percent fall in the DAX. Inflation is going to have a bit to do that as well, with that as well. More on that in a moment. And much smaller moves in bonds. Ten-year Treasury yields are down five basis points. Most of Europe has seen one or two basis point rises in their ten-year yields. And oil is back on the rise. WTI is up three percent. Brent up two percent. Well over one hundred and twelve dollars now. It's a bit off its peak of one hundred and twenty-six dollars earlier in the month, but the trend is clearly up. It's heading back there. So markets seem to have shrugged off hope of a rapid peace deal. Uh, he is NAB's David DeGarris in London. Uh, you will have sensed yesterday that both Ray and I were unconvinced that this was going to suddenly see a, a changing course in this war. Uh, it looks like investors have drawn the same conclusion, doesn't it? We, I mean, look, we've got rising oil, uh, stocks down. Uh, so yeah, uh, those hopes have certainly faded. Well, it's funny you mention that, Phil, because um, what was it, the day before we had... Um was it the Deputy Defence Minister of Russia, uh, Mr. Foman, saying they'd be drastically scaling back their operations in around Kiev and um, Chernihiv, right? And and while and in the aftermath of that, I just happened to watch a screen this afternoon, and there was I think it was the reporter from ITV doing a live interview with a Russian gentleman, and he was in Kiev, and he had the, the air raid sirens were going in the in the background. Yeah. And he no, said, they, you know, they, they, if anything, they've stepped it up. They've stepped up the shelling just oh, outside indeed. the capital. So they're doing exactly the opposite of what they said. So that's why I think that's why people are going, yeah, we're not going to get a peaceful solution to this. It's going to be a long and dirty war. Indeed. It's just uh, also, the, you know, the staggering, the, you know, some of the numbers that are coming out of the war. You know, a, a quarter of the population has been mm. displaced, you know, over 4 million refugees now. So of a population of 40 million is just uh, absolutely staggering numbers. For- it is. And look, if you thought there was any hope that uh, if both sides believed that they could reach any form of agreement moving forwards, then you would have a ceasefire, wouldn't you? You you would say, well, let's start talking. Let's stop killing each other while we try and sort this out. But that's not happened. So, I, I you know, I think uh, it's pretty vain, the hope. And I think the market's responding to that. Meanwhile, uh, Poland is uh, stopping purchasing oil and gas and coal from Russia. So sanctions are, are being stepped up. Mm. And mm. there is this fear that uh, tomorrow or today, uh, Thursday, depending where you're listening to this, uh, uh, they will actually publish uh, how they yeah, are expecting everybody to pay for, this is Russia, how they expect everyone to buy gas in rubles. It's a curious thing. 
It I'm is. not quite. Why are they doing this? Is it just to make it more difficult? Uh, because I mean, you would have thought actually it would make make oil and gas cheaper, wouldn't you? Because rubles aren't worth it, worth anything. I, I, I would think that um, uh, if we just put aside the, the sort of commercial difficulties of actually obtaining mm. the rubles in in the first place, um, the there, there is no way that um, uh, inter- people outside Russia will be wanting to accumulate rubles to any extent at all, yeah. Phil. So, uh, you know, the most that could happen would be to buy the rubles and immediately give it to the central bank or to Gazprom or whoever in exchange for US dollars, right? So um, I, I think it's it's somewhat irrelevant and, um, and practically very difficult to actually transact. So um, I think, you know, the Europeans are pretty firm. They're prepared to pay in euros or US dollars. Yeah. Uh, question is, does Russia want to receive that or doesn't it? Yeah. So um, it's got it's got a lot at stake. I mean, it's six and a half percent of its GDP is in, in tied up in energy exports and thirty uh, percent of its budget revenue. So there is a lot at stake here right now. Well, we're going to find out more today because because uh, Russia is saying they're going to they're going to publish the plans on it today and they're not expecting it to kick in immediately. So they're saying there'll be some sort of transition for whatever reason. But Germany, meanwhile has issued a warning of an impending energy and emergency which uh, could see fuel rationing introduced in Germany if it if it gets to that as if they didn't need more trouble because if we uh, look at the inflation numbers that were out today wow. I mean much higher than expected this is a worry isn't it well it's um it, it it's a very unfortunate pattern that's, uh, that's that's playing out now isn't it so we had the german and the spanish inflation numbers uh, German inflation up 7.6%. So if you unpack that a little bit, Phil, uh, energy inflation 39.5%. Well, that's obviously the, the oil and, again, the gas story. Uh, food inflation 6.2. So you could say, well, okay, they're exceptional. Um, that's the commodity price things. Those things might fade away. But even core services inflation in Germany fell at 2.8%. So um, even that number is well beyond the uh, the ECB's two percent target. So none too comforting at a time when uh, you know we've got these confidence surveys coming out and uh, eurozone consumer confidence taking a hit. And that was even before these uh, before these inflation numbers officially hit the screen. So um, that's what the market, the European markets, had its eyes on. You mentioned in the introduction there the uh, the rally in the euro today and the fact the markets got priced in over 60 basis points from uh, from the ECB over the remainder of this year. Because of the inflation, yeah. And and look, I Indeed. mean, is it going to get worse? Because you look at, I mean, you know, we've been quoting the annual figures, but the, the month-on-month figure, 2.5% rise in a month uh, in, in Germany, yes. 3% in a month in Spain. I mean, that is just staggering. Yes, it was, was 4, wasn't it? 3.9 in, in Spain. You're right, 3.9. Th- those monthly numbers are well beyond... Australia's annual inflation rate. So, Incredible, and we've got French yeah. and we've got we've got French and Italian CPI coming up tomorrow, and then the eurozone inflation numbers on Friday. So, the market will be watching those very closely. I mean, okay, let's discount some of the energy side of it, but it's just spilling over. And when you've got these talks carrying on in Germany over what happens if you know if there are interruptions to gas supply and so forth. Um, you know, it, it's a very live political and um, a live monetary policy environment. And you even talk, had uh, uh, Christine Lagarde from the ECB saying that, well, if there is any adjustment in rates, it's going to be 
gradual. So openly talking about potential for rate rises. Yeah, there. but but um, still using that word gradual. Uh, you know, uh, because of she they, said they love that word, don't they? Yeah, which is even more even more gradual than gradual. But you know, because she pointed to higher energy prices, uh, higher goods prices because of uh, food prices because of uh, Ukraine's role as a wheat exporter and and then the renewed bottlenecks in uh, in global supply chains as well. So she she said, you know, this is a difficult time that Europe is, yes. is enter, entering into. So you it could is. argue, well, okay, those, those higher prices are a concern. That's inflation that you've got to you've got to quash with uh, with rate rises. But all the other factors, you'd be saying, well, okay, you know, if it's if it's making the cost of living. Uh, exp- expensive if we're starting to see a cost of living squeeze then you know we may be ta- taking the same approach as the Bank of England and yet look, yeah. at, look at two year yields uh, breaking above the, the 0% mark so it's the, the expectation is that they are going to do something I think what it does say to probably European policymakers, Phil is the, the, the time for deeply negative interest rates probably over and they don't want to make that situation worse indeed Europe is facing a big terms of trade shock from higher Energy prices, you know, Germany, a, a big net importer of uh, of energy, you know, which and and the hit to to confidence and so forth. But at the same time, <clears throat> given what's happening in the energy markets, there is the distinct potential. We've got the next generation EU uh, fiscal plan that's being rolled out as we speak. Um, will the transition to the green economy be accelerated? Um, capital investment to ramp up. Uh, energy-related projects and the like. So it's not just a one-way street of um, of, uh, of negative in terms of the activity side. Yeah, but you can't move off Russian gas and oil in the next couple of months, can you? <laughs> Germany can't. Uh, no, no. So you have to get cracking on all these other things yeah. very quickly. Yeah. Now, uh, you mentioned uh, those inflation numbers coming uh, later on today for France and Italy. We also get unemployment data for Germany and the euro area as well, and Germany's retail sales, the final GDP rate for the UK. So uh, lots of European news uh, later on today. Yet yeah, far from the action, the US is telling a different story. The, uh, the final the final GDP numbers were down a little bit, but uh, the job numbers were strong uh, today or yesterday. Uh, we talked earlier in the week about the uh, uh, consumer confidence, the, co- the Comfort Board consumer confidence rate. That was also very, very strong uh, as well. So, you know, a very different story to what we're seeing in Europe, that's for sure. Indeed. And, um, and of course, uh, the thing is, Phil, that the that, uh, that US is a sort of a net energy, net oil exporter now. So, much less exposed to the energy side uh, than Europe. And indeed, um, you know, domestic gas prices in the United States have been relatively stable, so much less exposed other than the indirect effects of any slowdown in Europe on on the US economy. And loads of jobs. So JOLTS numbers were up. Quits were up as well. 4.35 million job quits in February. You don't quit your job unless you're feeling confident about the future. And we had 455,000 new jobs in those ADP numbers. Yes. Uh, but one, what was interesting, we had the uh, Fed's uh, barking uh, saying overnight that he felt that with all of these, uh, all of these input costs going up, US firms uh, are having no problems passing on their higher costs to consumers. Uh, they feel like they can do that without losing market share. And yet I'm looking at the GDP numbers and it looks to me like, uh, there is a bit of a squeeze on co- corporate profits. Q4 at 0.2% from yes. 3.4% yes. last quarter. So it's not all getting yeah. passed on. It's interesting you say that because, uh, 
what economists sometimes look at is corporate profits relative to GDP, and that share actually went back, mm. um, uh, went back a bit in the December quarter. So those figures are first released with this. This is the third estimate, I think, for GDP, uh, US GDP this quarter. So maybe that's a sign of um, a little bit of margin compression. So a little bit of mixed message there compared to what uh, the likes of Barkin was saying, uh, you know, from his contacts with the business community as opposed to what the uh, Q4 GDP's numbers were telling us. So, of course, that's an important element for the stock market as to whether they can maintain margins or not. Now, today we get uh, building permits for Australia and private sector credit numbers somewhere else far removed from the action, and we love it that way. (laughs) Uh, It's going to take a lot to stop Australians building houses, isn't it, whatever the climate? I think that the the big challenge for the um, residential building industry for the next 12 to 18 months, maybe longer, Phil, there's already a big pipeline, you know, from the home builder Mm. scheme, and now you've got – what, the best 150 to 200,000 claims from the wet weather, you know, which have to yeah. be worked through. So that's just another impost on um, the available diminishing supply of um, plumbers, electricians, builders and so forth. So that pipeline, you would expect, is only going to lengthen, of course, put upward pressure on construction costs as well. Uh, yeah, so that's that supply chain difficulties are everywhere, in every sector, <laughs> they all are. around the world, aren't they? Uh, and uh, in China, of course, a very different story. Supply chains are driven by the fact that no one can uh, go to work. Uh, so in many places, because of all these lockdowns, we get China's PMIs out. Uh, the manufacturing PMI was only just hanging over 50 last time. So with all those lockdowns, presumably it's going to fall below 50. So we're into yeah, contraction territory. I think that's a suspicion, but the lockdowns have been relatively short, haven't they? And mm. some parts, we know some parts of manufacturing. I mean, how how long did that Foxconn, uh, that factory stay closed? It was reopened pretty quickly, it's my recollection, yeah. Phil. And, uh, so let's see. And the market's quite sensitive to that uh, to that report. So what certainly one to watch today. Right. Okay. And, of course, whatever else happens in Ukraine. That's going to be the last line of this podcast for some time to come, isn't it? Uh, good to talk. Uh, we'll catch you again soon thanks Dave will do Phil cheers when I say soon uh, in about a month's time actually uh, because he's doing a bit of travelling but uh, we'll we'll manage to sort of muddle through without him somehow uh, that's it for today I'm Phil Dobby for now back again tomorrow morning see you then